We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And last night, Lakers fell back under 500 uh, with the loss to the Clippers. Lakers did not have LeBron. In the first half, Clippers scored a season high for the Lakers, 77 points, and were down by 13. And it was a pretty uncompetitive game. Clippers were scoring very easily. Now, the Clippers have been on an absolute tear ever since they... Uh, not just traded for Harden, but after they sent Russ to the bench, they've kind of found their correct shape and they have the best record in the NBA and have been on a torrid streak on the offensive end. And so in the context of last night's game, I I understand all of that. But where it starts to lose me a little bit, D, is we gave up 18 points in transition in the first half, just in one half, just 18 points in transition, which that's just a certain degree of you got to run. You you just got to run and you got to be able to, you got to compete. You got to fight and, and run down court. And in the second half, I thought they really did that. And the team is in an odd place right now, at least from, from my perception in that I have a very close and wary eye on the level of spirit that they play with. Because again, I don't think it matters too much the lineups you play or the schemes you run, schemes you run or anything like that if you don't have the requisite level of spirit. And so games like the Brooklyn game, in context with a lot of the other games this season, I don't know. I just feel like the Lakers are kind of at an interesting point. And then you throw in all the trade deadline context, right? That this is something that I have a, a close eye on right now. I loved how they played in that second half. They didn't win the game, but I thought they played with great competitive spirit. And it was, and it's certainly not the only time in the last, you know, 10 games or whatever it's been that they've played like this deep, but there's a certain amount of like the kindling is flickering at certain points. And I thought the second half was was part of that, but it can't be so touch and go. So I don't know. It was an interesting game to me last night. Uh, there were several things that I that I liked, several things that I didn't, but um, talk to me about what you saw. Yeah, I'm a little bit more forgiving about like the first half offense stuff and like how well the Clippers were playing. I thought they had clear perimeter advantages with LeBron out of the game. Of and I just think that that compounds in a way without LeBron specifically in order to defend Kawhi. And Kawhi got his second triple-double 
of his career against the Lakers and AD got his second one like earlier this year. And so I like, that's not a knock on Kawhi. It's a certain amount of playmaking. Isn't his general thing. Just like sure, but playmaking gotta, hasn't been, if you got to guard him with Austin Reeves, you probably got to double team him. Right. And then that yes. facilitates a degree of assists. So like Austin didn't start on Kawhi, but the Lakers were switching a lot one mm-hmm. through four because the Clippers start Kawhi at power forward. And it, and it facilitates some of that switching if you want to play a stay in front defense. But what that ended up doing, I thought, was Kawhi was getting to spots on the floor where he was just too dangerous. I think he made his first eight shots. And some of those were over good contests, which is what Kawhi Leonard does. Some of them were over Rui, which were he's a good sized defender. A couple of them were over Anthony Davis. And it's just like, this is what this this dude does. But as he made shot after shot after shot, I thought that that compromised the Lakers defense in a way that was too difficult to overcome. And I compare it to the last time the Lakers played the Clippers or even the first game where the Lakers played the Clippers, where Kawhi got defended a lot by LeBron. And it's just like, this is a dude who isn't going to be like easily like knocked off his spot is longer is just a more physical defender. And I thought that the cascading effect of not having LeBron in the lineup defensively against the Clippers was almost as important or even more important in some ways than his absence offensively. Now, to your point about transition, I thought Russ and Powell changed the game. Russell Westbrook, they Mm -hmm. played with an amount of verve and force in transition that was very difficult for the Lakers to match. And Mike, I thought the Lakers ran out of guys to a certain extent defensively against a Clippers offense that I had written about this for three things, but it's like 126.5 offensive rating over their last 10 games, 46% from three over a 61% effective field goal percentage over a 10 game stretch for a team. It's kind of unreal, the level that they've been playing to offensively. And so I'm with Pete in that, I thought the Lakers didn't do enough in like in in transition, but I'm like, I guess not as upset about it all. Like just just because this is what the Clippers have been doing to everyone. And I'm just like, damn it. I wish they would have had that one extra guy because I I actually think LeBron would have made a pretty big difference in this game if he was playing to the level that he typically plays to in a marquee game like this. Yeah, he helped hold Kawhi to 6-for-17 shooting last game, and that was a big reason why the Lakers won. Kawhi did just miss a couple of shots he usually hits, but as you said, he disrupt, He was disrupted by maybe the only guy in the league that can, when fully engaged, is strong enough to, to not get pushed off his spots and can actually impact him because that's the thing about Kawhi I think that is especially easy to see in person. Physically, he is just so much beyond from a strength standpoint, almost anybody in the league on, on the, from a wing standpoint. Uh, and LeBron is right there. Um, obviously, and LeBron's actually probably even a little bit stronger, but it's uh, that, that battle, of course, wasn't going to be there. So I thought going into this game, it was going to be tough for the Lakers not to just lose by double digits, uh, even if they played really well, uh, based on the Clippers being hungry from having lost both their matchups to the Lakers uh, this season and being... I want to say fully healthy. Of course, Vita Zubats is out and he is certainly an upgrade over what they have with Plumlee and Tice. But Plumlee and Tice can still at least approximate, you know, what the Clippers want to get done, especially on offense um, as a, a screen roll threat. And to me, like where the Clippers are different 
is with Harden in this spot of kind of not just best behavior, but willing to keep his usage down and facilitate to the extent that George and Kawhi uh, can eat and their role players can uh, he's he's just like feeding Terrence Mann on cuts and um, finding Amir coffee in the corner and Norman Powell's coming in. Harden's giving up usage to him. It's just all that version of James Harden is a damn good player. And they added that to George and Leonard who needed somebody like that. And Russ couldn't quite do that, you know, because Russ doesn't have the same level of efficiency. He can't shoot like Harden did. And while Russ did play well night. for Russ, mm, well, he, but he was, but he was plus one, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. in his minutes. So, cause Russ also did some of the stuff he usually does. He blew a couple of rotations. He missed a couple of bunnies. Uh, but like Russ was three for three from three. He came in shooting 28%. Uh, and that I think was especially killer on top of Amir coffee going three for three and Powell, you know, hitting most of his shots. So it just, they, they had too much, um, I think in the context, but why do they have too much when you look at the Lakers roster and sort of what they can be and how they've won uh, and beaten some of the better teams, LeBron being the, the biggest, like, yeah, if they didn't have LeBron. So that makes a massive difference, but there's just so many times that I look out there on the floor and, you know, D'Lo played 40 minutes, Austin Reeves played 34 and Torian Prince played 33. And, you know, even Cam Reddish, who was who looked pretty good, uh, played 16 minutes like they're just small. Um, And it's Anthony Davis having to do so much on defense while doing a lot on offense that I think that has slipped maybe just a fraction of, of just the energy that he has to defend for everybody. And to make up for all of the guys that are smaller and that are they're creating sh- good shots and driving angles for the opponent. And that to me is is where you also just miss that part of LeBron, um, his size and his attention to detail defensively and, and all that when he's on. And, and it just was too much to overcome. Pete, I want to kick it back to you here because I don't want to give your point about like the second half stuff short shrift. Like... I really did like the way that they competed in that third quarter. And they not only did not let go of the rope in the game of tug of war, like they pulled the flag to their side. Yeah. A little bit. They got beat. Died an honorable death. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, this is the sort of effort I'm looking for more often from Mm -hmm. this team. And I think that there, there is a formula in here for this group to be really good. And Darwin says it like we've got enough in this locker room like to win. And so where are you at in the balancing act between like, oh, the first half wasn't as good, but the second half is more towards what they want it to be? Because Darwin even said this a few games ago, like we got to choose which team we want to be. And I thought the Lakers chose more appropriately for the majority of this game playing against a team that was really good and has been playing really well. The reason I brought up transition defense at the beginning is because of what Mike's point was saying is he's looking out there and like, this guy ain't very big. This guy isn't very big. And if nothing else, you got to be able to run back on defense. If you're going to be small, then you got to be able to do that. Now, transition is the domain of athletes. So Austin can still be back. And then a better athlete has a 20 foot head of steam on the dribble on him. And they're like, all right, he can be back all he wants, but he's, if he's got Austin in space, he's going to attack him. Same thing is true with D'Lo. That said though, there's a certain amount of, we got to run that if we are going to be small, then there's a certain level of pace that we've got to play with. And one thing, this is something you've been talking about a lot and is something Darwin has talked about too, is that idea of playing with pace and how essential it is to this Lakers team. And 
Let's take a break here because I want to talk after about how D'Angelo Russell is super vital to that. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. Whether your resolution is to save money, eat better, or stress less, HelloFresh is here to help you do all three. Say hello to your most delicious year yet with fresh ingredients and chef-crafted recipes at a price you'll like, delivered right to your door. Each HelloFresh box is packed with farm-fresh ingredients, and everything arrives pre-portioned right to your doorstep for less hassle and less wasted food. Don't let recipe boredom strike because HelloFresh has more options than never. Dig into their biggest menu yet with over 45 dinner options to choose from weekly and even more market add-on items that suit any lifestyle. There are many things I appreciate about HelloFresh, from how it saves me time by having all the ingredients ready at my fingertips to how organized and easy to follow all of the recipes are. But most of all, I really do like the variety of offerings and all the different flavor profiles in their meal kits. Go to HelloFresh.com slash LakerFilmRoomFree and use the code LakerFilmRoomFree for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash LakerFilmRoomFree with code LakerFilmRoomFree. So... We talked about the D'Lo and Rui stuff in the last segment of the last pod, and it's been gnawing on me ever since because I don't ever on this pod want to be like come across as like bullshitting people, right? And like, oh, that wasn't anything, right? No, it was clearly something. If you saw, if you saw it, he was having a moment of sorts. Now you can attach whatever story or whatever it was, but to act as though that was not anything at all, I didn't want to come across as that. So I wanted to just clarify that on the pod. He is playing, man. When he blocked that shot, <laughs> talk about transition D-Lo, defense. Yeah, when D'Lo, D-Lo blocked yes. that shot, I fell out of my damn chair. That was that was amazing. And his his comment the other day about how he realized recently that playing with pace and being aggressive. I'm sorry, he didn't say the playing with pace, but the being aggressive part yeah. rather than deferring to the other guys. Watching him do that and see how absolutely correct that decision is. He kind of fell off toward the end of that game because when was the last time Dilo played 40 minutes in a game where he was running his ass off? I just think he lost his legs, right? And so a lot of his shots were short at the end. But how good is this guy playing, right? And we know all the trade rumors and all that stuff. As to the the thing that happened the other night, my personal opinion, not source, nothing or anything like that. What it looked like to me was a guy having a moment. If I'm in Delo's shoes, I have a 34 and 8 game. The crowds you got a bunch of like bounce it off the floor for an alley-oop, pull up three, send it to a timeout. It's just that fun, this beautiful basketball. And uh, and the arena is all live and he, it's after the game. He's just talked to Mike. Uh, he's sitting on the bench and I just thought he was having a moment. Right. And where it's like, this could be gone in a couple of weeks. It could be a totally yeah. different experience. And how many different teams has he been on? If you put yourself in Delo shoes, he's what, 27 years old. How many different times has there been change for him as a basketball player? And the level of like love and care, I'm sorry, and the level of care that he's playing with right now, to me, like Lakers are about to go out on a road trip. If a guy's playing like that, there needs to be some love for him. You know, in, in my opinion, I've been just so, uh, so impressed with what he's been bringing to the table. delo has been excellent all year besides that stretch where he was like below his floor. 
D'Lo has a natural floor. Every player has a natural floor. And when you're at your floor or below it, you look like a guy where it's like, what's going on with you right now? And D'Lo was at that level for a bit of an extended stretch. And now there were there were some extenuating circumstances. He was starting and then he wasn't. And then it's just like, I think the sort of, um, even if it's not vocalized, the sort of scapegoating nature of it's easy to point at you doing your thing poorly when there's actually probably a lot of guys who are not playing that well. And we can single out one or two guys, but really it's just like, well, it's more fun if we just single out you. Right. Because mm-hmm. you're the well, guy it's much easier. that I don't. You skip to an easy conclusion, you know, wipe your hands of it. It's, it's just easy to move on, you know, move on from there. The thing I appreciate about D'Lo is that he is very astute in his observations, Mike. And there are times where I feel like he is very reflective of where his positioning is within that and there are also times where i feel like he is a bit disconnected from that as well where it's just like he is and that's everyone right it's just like how accountable are we going to hold ourselves within this particular thing with the way that we view things right and so when delo's talking about like you can trust me it's just like yeah i'm going to go out and show you that you can trust me yes And then, but when that's framed within the context of like, well, I showed you what I could do last year. It's just like, yes. And then in the playoffs, right, there's a reason why that trust only goes so far with him and why there's always going to be a certain amount of, well, how reliable are you going to be in the in the moments where we need to rely on you most? And that's the essence of being like not just a good player, but a great player within the context of your role. Right. And so like the Robert Ories and Rick Foxes of the world, they weren't great basketball players. They were very good basketball players, but they were great role players because when it was time to rely on them for the thing that you needed from them most. And this is the this is the thing about D'Lo and what he's showing during this stretch is he is operating closer to his ceiling now, Mike. And that player, with the pedigree that he has as a passer and a scorer and a guy who plays with so much feel and has physical tools that we don't often discuss in terms of his length and even like the pace that he can play with and the ability to see something a step ahead. Like these are qualities that not a lot of a player that not a lot of players have, but he has them. And when he's combining it all, you can see the impact that he can have on a game. And is it going to come without mistakes? No. Like the Lakers had a chance to take a lead and they got a steal. And then D'Lo picks up his dribble a beat too early, has nowhere to go with the pass and throws it. And then he throws it away and it's a turnover. And then the Clippers come down and then they get like four or six points in a row. And suddenly that two point lead is back to eight. And it's just like, damn it. They had a chance there. But D'Lo's been playing great, and I got no complaints about what he's been doing lately. Well, if you just look at D'Lo's season on the whole, and the December stretch was rough. Uh, so in December alone, he had one, two, three, four, five. He had seven games in the single digits in scoring. Uh, he only attempted 9.8 shots that whole month uh, as a collective. And his the funny thing is his assisted turnover ratio has been about the same. Like his passing has been about the same um, all year long, and that includes that stretch in December. 
What's gone up a ton uh, in January are his field goal attempts uh, and his minutes. And, you know, of course, part of that is reentering the starting lineup. His last four, like 29, 20, 34, 27. And his three ball um, is just dialed in. Like his, let's see, he's made five, three, six, and four uh, in those last four games from three. So he, I think that he reached a certain point and, Part of this was him meeting with Darvin Ham. Part of it was just probably discussing things with a couple of teammates where he just said, screw it. Like, I'm I'm just going to play. I'm going to be aggressive and I'm going to play. And LeBron and AD, like, that's great. Still going to try to get them involved, but I have to play with the skill set that I have. Uh, and the thing that I want to bring into this is Austin Reeves along the same stretch. So now Austin is only taking 10 shots a game uh, this month. His assisted turnover has been about the same. He's shooting the ball great from two, struggling to make his three. And it's like this whole – we can stay on D-load if you want, Pete. I'm just trying to figure out them playing together, them staggering some. Can you – is there enough room for both of them to be as efficient and as they want and aggressive as they want offensively on a team with LeBron and AD? Um, the fact that neither one of them is a plus defender, you know, and the lineups like that, that to me is the is the bigger picture question out of this. But – like Russell playing at this level, um, that's great. That that needs to happen for him and for the team. But then what is the way to make that work within the context of Austin and that and the defense that I alluded to in the first segment here um, that was lacking some and all that is asked upon for AD. So go take that where you want to go. So in terms of big picture, can Austin and D'Lo work together if you're trying to build a, a title contender type of team? I think that's one of the biggest questions from a roster perspective is, can you have both of them? It being no individual criticism necessarily on either of them, but when there's a shared weakness, when both guys are not that great at the same thing and they play positions next to each other, you start to run into some serious issues. issues. In terms of how to resolve that on this roster with the guys that we have, I think Vando is an essential character within that. He's a guy that I was thinking thinking the other day, and forgive me for the flip to Vando, but I think that in the context of Austin, he's he's super important, Mike. Well, he, he's related though. He's the one that was out there last year, right, when both of them were on the floor more. Yeah, well, and and the games. other guy, and the other guy was Dennis, right? We only think about the starting lineup last year. Dennis played thirty minutes a game for us. And so both regular season and the playoffs, those are starters minutes. And Dennis is that small, fast athlete that was tenacious, that gave you some ball pressure that could guard his position D. And so not having him, we, we can skip over him and Vando is important, but that type of guy next to them was super essential. And now they don't have that same level of support. No, Vando and Dennis are critical ideas within the concept of this season's roster that both of those guys played important minutes next to both next to lineups that included both D'Lo and Austin. Remember the stretch where LeBron was out and it was just like the Dennis um, Austin D'Lo group. They had a very good positive net rating, Pete. And it was like those the, all those ball handlers and that perimeter, yeah. that perimeter game focus game was like super effective for the Lakers. Did LeBron missed more than half of the games in that great stretch to end the season that we look back on so fondly. They wanted a 57 game pace with LeBron missing 15 out of the 27 games. So there was something aside from that greatness of LeBron that LeBron that uh, that Mike was talking about earlier that was working in which I think both Dennis and Vando were essential. My my only qualifier there in this, this is like, God, I, I really feel like I'm being in wet blanket territory. It was just that the Lakers needed to win every single one of those games and their opponent didn't necessarily. Of course. And, and so that it's just, I, whenever I try to think about, Oh, last year it worked so great, you know, and that that's the one thing that holds me back. And 
in while taking in all of the information that we have this year when teams are, you know, at this point, basically everybody is engaged uh, in the West, except for a couple of teams. The Lakers haven't played in a while. And that that may switch um, as the season gets closer to being over um, with the Lakers desperation level then rising ahead of some of those teams. But it hasn't been like that so far. Yeah. And I don't want to necessarily argue the point that the games mattered to the Lakers in some cases mattered more than their opponents. I'm looking more at like process in that the results are one thing. They won those games. And I think when Pete's talking about 57 win, win pace, obviously that's result oriented. Here's what yeah. that meant. But, but it's a testament to the process, process standpoint. Like, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. From a process standpoint, Pete, there was a lot of like, oh, look how look at how the coordination of these skill sets mesh. And the mm-hmm. downhill ability of Dennis is something that I think is sorely missed on this season's team. And against the Clippers, you also saw how a player of Vando's quality who can like get to the offensive glass and draw some fouls inside and you wish he finished a little bit better and that his hands were a little bit tighter around the basket and that he wasn't getting the ball stripped away as much. But his general size and activity at that spot was also super important. And when Mike pivoted and asked about Austin Pete, I instantly wanted to pivot to small forward instead of the other guard, because I don't necessarily think it's as much a question about Austin and D'Lo, because you can never have enough skill on the court. And if you're going to have skill on the court, like, yeah, a big wing, let's get the big wing. That's also super skilled. Yeah. That guy makes $50 million. And so let's stop talking about that guy as much. And in a way that guy was in street clothes against the Clippers too. He was wearing nice little green outfit. I, like the way that LeBron looked. Green isn't my favorite color, but hey, here we go. I, I wasn't a fan. <laughs> Let's go to break because on the <laughs> other side, I want to hit something else. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I went to Prince 
a little bit here because I'm still looking for the Lakers to find the right personnel groupings that every single player feels like they're not at a deficit against their position on the other side. And I mean this from a starting perspective. Prince is a good NBA player, and I hate to always frame these conversations about Prince through through the lens of like what he's not doing. Um, I think the ask on Prince is just too big, and him playing 30, 32, 35, 37 minutes on any given night is too big of a role for Tori and Prince on a team that has championship aspirations. And so... If you go online and you look at the trade stuff and everything else, it's like, oh, point guard this or upgrade here in the backcourt or no one's necessarily talking about what I think is still the most important position on the Mm -hmm. team, which is the forward that you slot in between LeBron James and Anthony Davis or next to LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And I just think that when your roster build is with LeBron and AD... Yes, the guards are super important, but who's the other forward? The other forward is super important because of the defensive resources teams have to assign to LeBron and AD. And the makeup of that specific player is is going to be the pivot point of how your team effectively plays. And this season, it's been Prince. And it's just like, guess what? The Lakers are not as good on defense as they could be. They are not as good on the glass as they could be. And when Prince is hitting shots, the offense looks better. But when he's not, it's just like, well, they're in that 19 to 23 range. And it's just like, that's not an offense that's good enough to well, to win. And I just think they're being over-reliant on a player that is being over-asked night to night to night. And I think that's essentially the answer uh, to the question about Austin and D'Lo. And if you look at last season, take game one against Memphis. I, I just pulled it up right now in round one. So Vanderbilt starts, plays 23 minutes next to them. D'Lo, 36, Austin, 31. Rui Hachimura, 30 minutes off the bench. Now, he had that ridiculous shooting game, that first one. That was where he was five for six from three, part of the reason why he played that much. Um, The rest of the bench minutes, Troy Brown Jr. played 17. Dennis played 20. And then Malik Beasley played uh, played 10. And that was about it. And and so, like, the, the point being... Vanderbilt and Rui Hachimura, those were the two guys at the deadline um, on top of, of course, D'Lo. And like Rui came right before in that trade with Washington. But like that was what made that team bigger. Um, And now instead of those two being plugged in for that number of minutes. um, So let's see the box score against the Clippers. It's a little tougher because of the LeBron factor and just being out. And Vanderbilt actually did play um, 25 minutes and Hachimura did start and play 29. But then you're replacing LeBron's minutes with Torian Prince. If those guys are, are playing the same level. And that's that's it. You know, that's the difference. Even if you're a little bigger with Christian Wood um, playing off the bench than, than you were like with Dennis or whatever that look is because you have Austin and D'Lo into, into that Dennis spot, uh, that that to me is is where the team is just too small. And again, no fault of Prince's. Uh, he is he is doing his best in those minutes, but he does not have he is not a big wing. You know, he might look like one at times. Uh, just his height and his size, but he is not a big sort of defensive wing in that sense. And, and it just seems miscast. 
So I think the Lakers are in a bit of a Goldilocks situation at the three spot in general. I am uh, stealing this term from Darius. He described Torian Prince as this in the text thread. And I thought it was a, a brilliant way of looking at it. I'd had the same thought, but hadn't put it so concisely. If you're not familiar with the fairy tale of Goldilocks, the short version is basically one bowl of soup's too cold, one bowl of soup's too hot, and then the other one is just right. At least that's the version I remember. Is that the, is that correct, D? Yeah, yeah, no, to- totally. Okay. And, and soup's an appropriate thing right here. Yeah, yeah, because of we're big Mike's, soup pod. Um, soup uh, affinity. Pod. Yep, yep. So yeah. I think essentially what it is is that Torian Prince at the three is the version of this Lakers team that's small and fast and can shoot, where everybody around LeBron and AD has the ability to hit shots. And this is something that Darvin said that when he was explaining the thought process behind that lineup was we're trying to surround our our, our stars with shooting. The other options at that spot are Jared Vanderbilt, who is a completely different offensive player. Just in terms of how mechanically the offense can work, Torian Prince and Jared Vanderbilt could hardly be any more different. One of the things I'm excited about with Vander, who's been looking better and better, is offensively AD in the post changes the geometry. Where Have you noticed how much he's been hanging out like right around the elbow and just cutting to the basket off of that? If you think you're attacking from the perimeter, and last year, a lot of times when we, when he wasn't spaced to the corner, he was in the dunker spot. But I think that kind of plays into some of his weaknesses that you were talking about earlier, D, with kind of fumbling the ball and getting stripped easily, is if you think about how the direction that his momentum is going when leaving the dunker spot, it's actually going away from the basket. And so it's sort of a, your momentum's going that way, and he's not really a lob threat, in part because of his hands. Uh, and so it is harder to finish that way. But if AD's in the post and Vando is on the weak side elbow and is setting pin screens, which we need to do more of stuff like that, but is diving from there, all of a sudden he's having double-digit scoring games out of nowhere. And I think that there's this unlocked degree of offensive utility where the argument against Vando to a great extent was like, well, yeah, but you have a certain ceiling on the offensive end, which you do. But I do think that there's been steps taken to resolve that, and I'm really excited about that. However, Vando is never going to be that spacer 3 and D type of guy. He's a very unusual type of player. The other option is Rui. Rui does provide you some of that perimeter threat. He hit a couple really tough middies, which I think is, I think the mid-range game is going to be a big part of Rui's c- contribution going forward. But he has some of the f- some foot speed issues on the perimeter, right? So there's a little bit soup that's too hot, a little bit soup that's too cold. And that type of guy that can defend and be strong and help out on the boards, but can also space the floor, I think that's the probably just right type of guy, D. Doesn't have to have the ball handling skills, not a super skilled guy, just can you knock down an open catch and shoot three and defend to be strong and physical. And so that to me is the guy that we don't have. And I think that we've been kind of dancing around that or trying to, not dancing around that, I think we've been trying to... Uh, address the issues that come from that. And so I'm curious your thoughts on on that idea. No, I think that that's exactly right. Um, again, Prince is a Prince is good. He's helpful when he's when it, particularly like he can do some things defensively. The thing that complicates matters for me with Prince as well, though, is that he's not as good a three point shooter from the corners. Oh, man, as he is from above the as he is from above the break. And 
the type of offense that the Lakers are running, or just in general, it's just like Prince is going to find himself in weak side corner a ton. And it's no coincidence that we are like, I think one of the most frustrating moments that the Lakers can have in a game is when here's an important three-point shot. It's sort of a momentum three-point shot Mm. and it's Prince in the corner and it's open. And that's the exact shot your offense is designed to create, and he doesn't make it. And it's not because he's not a good three-point shooter overall. It's because he's probably an above-average, above-the-break three-point shooter and a Mm below-average corner three-point shooter for how good of a shooter he actually is. And so Prince will be like, yeah, I shoot 38% from three, and that's a good number. And his numbers from the corner are like... 32% 32% and his numbers from above the break are like 41% Which is and you're like, like those guys the are the opposite of how it normally is yes <laughs> and so again I don't want to rag on Prince I just think that the idea of what the Lakers actually need in support of LeBron and AD has not changed over the last two and a half to three seasons. There was a point where LeBron first got to the team Mike where he was still a destroyer of worlds. He like go back and watch his highlights from the 2019 season, like the 2018-19 season, his first season with the team where he played with Lonzo and Brandon Ingram and Kyle Kuzma and all of the young buck guys. And then look at what he was doing the title season and look at his game now. He is still a super impressive athlete and he's in the top one or two percent in the league in terms of being like a fantastic physical athletic player but the lebron james of like five years ago of six years years ago that dude was one of the best athletes the league had ever seen right and he's just not that dude anymore and the way to support him and i sound like a broken record with this but the way to support him and the way to support ad is through motor and size and and shooting and motor's important size is important the combination of both though is like yes exactly that and the foot speed issue is what it is with with Rui I think we value that or we point to that as being valuable like we over index so like I don't, how important I don't that, view it as that valuable. I think is. the coaches see it as valuable. I think in the lineups they play, I think it's why Cam has such a big role because he's fantastic at that. I thought he was great last night, but I do think that I tr- I'm I try to look at it from the perspective of what is the argument for this group, right? The whole sure. premise that people seem to always start from is that like coaches are idiots and they don't know what they're doing. And that's I think it's absurd. I think it's important to be like, okay, what are you going for? I don't agree with this decision, but what were you actually going for? And if you listen to Darvin and you see the lineups that he plays, I do think that foot speed, getting being able to get out to the perimeter, being able to space the floor are attributes that are important to them. And with Rui, there is that foot speed issue. And then there's also the, he's not a knockdown three-point shooter as well. Now, the arguments for him, I'll I'll let you make. Those are the ones I agree with more, but I just think that's the argument against him at that spot. Yeah, I'm not even going to argue for Rui in in any specific way, just like I'm not going to argue for Vanderbilt in, in any specific way. All of these guys are good NBA players, Mike. They're all helpful to the Lakers in general. And I think that there's arguments for starting all of them. My point is, 
is we started this conversation within the context of Austin and D'Lo and whether or not they were in some battle of some death battle for like rotation minutes <laughs> at the guard spots. And I'm just like, well, why are we framing it that way? Yep. When to me, the answer is probably like, Who's starting at small forward? And should we be valuing that guy over the limitations that Austin and D'Lo bring, particularly defensively? Because Amen. if you add it to Prince, then yes, that's a fatal flaw within the yep. within the construct of your team. Even more simply than lineup groups and this, this guy plays better with this guy. And, and just if Hachimura and Vanderbilt now both healthy, if their minutes are lower... And, you know, the players like like Prince or whoever would be in that that smaller three spot reddish um, are higher Then that to me seems like the wrong mix. Uh, they it's been very rare this year that these guys have all actually been available. We'll see against Chicago. Uh, LeBron, I would think, would be back. And you've got fully healthy Vanderbilt had six offensive rebounds, played 25 minutes. OK, great. You know, start doing all the things we just talked about. Hachimura is is off of his three different injuries. Like so now they have they have enough of the size to use the lineups um, that have been traditionally more effective around LeBron and, and AD. And let's see how much that the, the Lakers get to him. I think the game against Portland is a great template to work off of. Uh, Cam didn't play in that game, and I think he probably should play that backup two spot. Is he OK, Mike? Do you know anything about what happened with his ankle? He didn't speak, um, so we don't know from him, but we know that he was available to check back in. And it was a little weird because he he looked like he couldn't put weight on it. But then he you know, walked back to the locker room and then walked back to the bench and seemed like he was fine. Um, so as far as we know, he's available. And, you know, Prince obviously also Prince also missed that ga- the game. Um, all right. Right. So Cam was Cam was back, but Prince didn't play. That's right. Against and Portland, that's a great point. Right? And so we haven't had yeah. everybody available in a way that. Fingers yeah. crossed. Yeah, I mean, you know, famous last words, right? But hopefully for this Chicago game. And so I'm really curious, Steve, what does the rotation look like when Prince is available and Rui and Vando and LeBron? Who are the guys that get the minutes? We haven't really seen this version of the team. We have not. I go back to it still being like, look, it's most likely a battle between Max and Cam for who should be like the last player that's in the rotation in terms of like that last dude. And we're still going to argue, not argue us, but just the argument for who should be getting the most minutes at small forward. Yep. Those are the right? two spots. Yep. And in its own way, the answer is probably LeBron. We talk about small forward as if LeBron is the power forward in this. But in reality, mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, you know, if you don't think Rui has the foot speed, Amen. then play a bit power forward. <laughs> No, Play this also helps court. LeBron too. Uh, I wish I wish we weren't wrapping up here because this is something I've been wanting to talk about is the way that teams target LeBron is not like, hey, we're going to switch and have LeBron guard our guy out on the perimeter. He can't. Go. I mean, sometimes it happens, but it's not really the way they do it. The way they attack him is when he's the low man. They attack him as a help defender yeah. where they're like, oh, we're there's a good chance you're not going to rotate at all right here. And we're just going to attack that and get as many points as we can off of that. Put it, playing Rui at that spot resolves that. And does LeBron have the foot speed to get out to a shooter? Yeah, but he wants to. And he's going to be able to he, – he's also probably the guy you put on that shooter that we designate, hey, we're not really going to guard you a ton. And so, I mean, that kind of – plays into each other. We got to wrap up here. This is a, re- a really good conversation. Um, we'll be back, I think, tomorrow um, to to discuss more. I will actually want to talk kind of broader roster construction with you guys kind of playing off of uh, today's pod. But until then, 
You've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Ainge has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, missing. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yeah. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.